Welcome to From the Bleachers, and we have an emergency podcast edition with the Adirondack baseball team advancing to the state final four today, Nick. Yeah, so the Adir- we're doing this podcast on Wednesday, and the state final four game is this Friday night in Binghamton at 7 p.m. Adirondack will face Chatham from Section 2. And right now, Mick, we're in uncharted waters as the last team, I think, now we're going to exclude wrestling. The wrestling brought their team to the states and they won a state title uh was it six seven years ago now but for a team sport the last team i think in a final four might be the 2001 um, adirondack softball team but for baseball we're going back to when you played in 1986 i believe is the last time we've been here so we're pushing almost 40 years to be in this territory yeah and if you look at team sports unofficially without doing any research this will probably this is like I said, unofficially, the third state final four team in a team sport, like excluding wrestling and you know, like yeah, like a like a like what you would call like an Olympic sport. So this would be a team sport in the major sports, as far as like baseball, basketball, softball, soccer, yada yada yada. So uh, my esp- my estimation would be the eighty, you know, the eighty six baseball team that I played on. Uh, Mrs. Christy McGrath played on Reggie Porter's team that advanced to the state final four, I believe, in 91. I'd have to check that. And then Coach Mauer's team that advanced in softball, we believe in 2001, would be the three teams that advanced to state final fours. And if you go back to football, when Don Vanacquatra won his two state or sectional titles, they didn't have state playoffs then. So we haven't won a sectional title since the state playoffs have been around for football in basketball the boys teams we've only played one state playoff game as um, your team lost a crossover to C one C2 yep. crossover and when Ray Borden's undefeated team won a sectional title there was no state playoff so state playoffs are you know relatively recent and you know limited action for Adirondacks so it's been an exciting week at school you know just looking at their season quickly Mick you know we don't we're going to try to talk about who they're playing against a little bit and what this week's been like. But looking at their season, they started out 2-10. and 10. They are 11-1 and 1 in their last 12 games. In those 12 games, they're only giving up two runs per game. And Colin White has come on as he's striking out about a guy per inning right now. But it's been a tale of two seasons for Coach Puglio and his team. Is They started out you know, in horrendous fashion, 0-7, I believe, to start the season, 2-10. and 10, And now, you know... A lot of people are calling this kind of a miracle run or a Cinderella story. I'm not sure if that's 100% accurate. I think this this was a team people were scared to play when the sectional seedings came out. I think people saw us in their bracket, knew what was coming. I think just stuff happened earlier in the year and things didn't click, but the talent was there, and I think once the ball got rolling and the belief was there, I think this was probably should have been a team that could have been a 3-2-3, three, three, you know, fight for a one seed, just the horrendous start that they had. Yeah, Coach Polio, he alluded to that in following his sectional win against West Berlin. He talked about the team wasn't whole – at the beginning of the season, he had some kids missing, didn't allude into that at all. But that's definitely, you know, they struggled in the early part of the year. He had some guys playing out of position, had some guys missing here and there. Uh, and then able, you know, he was able to get, you know, they were able to get it going after spring break as, as the calendar turned to May. 
Nick, they started getting rolling a little bit, got people back into the positions they needed to. And, you know, the other thing, too, is, like, spring break's really disruptive as well because a lot of teams don't play during spring break. So, uh, you know, as far as a miracle run, I'm not really – you know, I'm not really sold on that. This was, this was a solid baseball team anyway. It just needed to kind of get everyone on the same page. And then after spring break, you start playing. Uh, you know, the weather got better, got back from break, and you're playing in, you know, routinely two or three times a week. And they were able to get it rolling once that started. Yeah, I seen the miracle run. I think is a little disservice to the kids and Coach Pulio. They've put the time in. They've played Legion ball. These kids have played a lot of baseball. And I think just – Stuff wasn't going right for the first half of the season, but once it got rolling, um, they were as good as anybody in the class C's, and I think you know we've seen that. Why watching the Westmoreland game, they were the better team. Um, in their regional game, they were the better team. If you just watch the game, it wasn't like something lucky happened. It wasn't some miracle play or an error somebody made. They just outplayed those those teams, and they've outplayed everybody all the way through. And so I, I, I don't like – you know, it's an easy story to pick up. Well, they're 11 seed. They were under 500. This is a miracle story. But I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And team people who have watched this team play, I think people in the Class C coaches knew that this was a team that you didn't really want to play. So, Mick, they, they're going to face Chatham out of Section 2. Chatham's 25-1 and one right now. So just a crazy amount of games, you know, they get in. They won the states in 2008, so they're a uh, pretty good history of baseball at this school. Now, they're in a little bit different situation. Section 2, the Class C was split into two brackets, so they had to play a playing game just to get to the regionals. And then they're stuck in that little Section 2, 7, 10 loop. So they played two games to get to this point. So they've played four games, you know, in the last couple weeks, which we've only played, you know, since the sectional final, we've played two They've had to play two extra games to get here. But just to recap quickly what they've done, they won the class double C title. 11 innings they won, 3-2 to two over Kanajahari. So if you're thinking this team's an unbeatable team, you know, a team that's you know, impossible to beat, they were uh, a pitch away from not even being in this, not even winning a sectional title. Then they go on to the next week, and they beat Galway in the, the C-double-C crossover. Then they beat Ticonderoga 14-3. Then they beat Norwood Norfolk um, 6-0 the other day. Um, and that's how Chatham got to this point. So, yes, 25-1. and one, Yes, a team that's been really good the past few years. But they've had a couple things happen to break their way to get to this point. So, you know, as we not predict the game but look forward to this game, I can't say – this is one of those games where you're walking going, there's no shot at winning. Yeah, I talked to our Section 2 insider, P.J. Brown. Talked to him yesterday, and he's an assistant coach down at Fort Plain, and he actually saw the chatham Kenna Jahari uh, game that was played a week and a half ago, which Chatham won 3-2. And in that game, Kenna Jahari was actually in control. They had base runners on pretty much throughout the whole game, Game went extra innings. Canajeria had to take their ace out, and that's when Chatham was able to kind of get into the bullpen a little bit, and they were able to win that game. Uh, like you said, Nick, I mean, 25-1, and one, if you take that at the surface, you know, you're thinking you could be running into a buzzsaw, but uh, what PJ was telling me is, you know, for the most part, they, you know, their ace is a, you know, is a good pitcher, but nothing overpowering. And their last two victories, they beat uh, Ticonderoga, 
and they beat Norwood Norfolk, who is who is usually a really solid Class C power up north. Uh, but the consensus is from the people that I've talked to that know a little bit of Class C baseball is that those two those two teams uh, probably a little bit more down than they usually are. So, uh, you know, you look at the scores and you say, wow, those two teams, they got no hit by Chatham. But looks can be deceiving sometimes, and I think that's what kind of, you know, the people that I talk to, that's kind of what they've alluded to is, you know, they're very good, don't get me wrong, everybody's good at this point in time, but, uh, you know, the fear is you don't want to run into that buzzsaw in and, and Chatham. They may appear to be a buzzsaw, but, uh, you know, our friends tell us a little bit different. And, you know, we're, we're going off what people tell us. We're going right. off what we've right. read. We haven't seen them play. So I, I can't say how good or bad they actually are without having seen them play. But just reading, uh, Matt Thorson's the number one pitcher for Chatham. So he uh, struck out 13 last time in their first regional game, in, or in their second regional game. In their first regional game against Ticonderoga, they had two other guys pitch, and they had 10 strikeouts. They had two no-hitters in the last two games. And like Mick said, you know, you're thinking, wow, two no-hitters, they're unhittable kind of guys. Um, Matt Thorson, the pitcher, the star pitcher for Chatham, is striking out maybe a guy and a half per inning. But um, we've had pitchers duels the last couple games, so Adirondack has played those games. It's not really their game that they're going to go out and score 12 runs. You know, they won their regional game by playing good defense and then getting a timely hit late in the game. Gabe Shahaki got a hit to, you know, knock in the winning run. And I think that game, the game coming up Friday night is probably going to be who gets a timely hit. You know, right now, Colin White is over the season is striking a little bit more than one kid per inning out. So, and Colin has been as good a pitcher in this tournament as anybody. So I don't know how much better the pitcher could be, you know, without seeing him. But I would say I would fear Colin as much as I would fear anybody in the tournament right now, just the way he's pitching. And it's going to come down to do you make the routine plays? Who makes a mistake? And I, I, I don't see it being some blowout or some – some test that the cats can't face. Yep. It was supposed to be Westmo. They weren't supposed to be able to face that test. Um, and they've met every test along the way. And I don't see this team faltering now the way they're playing. We actually, PG and I were actually talking about Chatham as well. And their schedule was relatively weak in, in his estimation and in his opinion. Uh, they haven't really played a ton of strong teams, and you know that could be a factor as well. But you're right, Nick. I mean, you know, as far as the Cats go, they've been playing tight games all the way through. It's not like they're an offensive juggernaut anyway, so they're going to be comfortable. You got to assume playing in that three-one-four-two type of game. And I think the the biggest thing through the five games, you know, through the five sectional games, is you know when Colin is thrown. The interesting thing about that is that nobody's really squared him up. So that tells me, you know, with Colin, he has, he's had, you know, he's got quite a bit of late movement, uh, a little bit of deception, a little bit of heavy ball in the zone. So he may not have to go out and strike out, you know, 11, 12 guys. He hasn't anyway in sectional plays, striking out five, six, seven guys. But his late movement and the heaviness, heaviness of his ball in the zone, people are having a really, really difficult time squaring him up which is really interesting over the course of the, you know, the four games that he's thrown. The one concern that I would have, Nick, kind of rolling into this game on Friday, 
would be the workload that he has had. That would be the one concerning thing to me. I mean, he's been over 103 or four of his last outings. So if you're looking for something that I would kind of keep my eye on is, you know, is there going to be some sort of fatigue heading into Friday? I realize he has a week off, but I know when we made our run in 2018 and, you know, Ethan Martin was, you know, the bell cow and he was throwing most of the innings. You know, I got I got a feeling when we got into the regional that, you know, that fatigue was kind of setting in a little bit. Uh, you know, so that would be my one concern as far as looking at, like, you know, Colin White versus, you know, Chatham on Friday is if you're looking at for a chink in the armor, like, I mean, what's what does he have left in the in the tank would be something that would just kind of it would be in the back of my mind coaching because if you see something early, then you you know something early in that game you know you may have to make a switch, you know so that would be something that would be in the back of my mind. It would be something that I'd be thinking about this week. And you'll never know how that is until the game is played. right. Exactly, you can't measure that during right. the week. You'll ask any kid how they feel. I'm sure he feels perfect right now. And Colin. Sectional finals football team. He was he's an all state caliber wrestler. He didn't make the states this year, but he's at that level yeah. where he yeah. he could be an all state wrestler. So he's had these moments and you know, Brett Sanford behind the plate has had these moments and so I don't think the moment's gonna be too big. I know there's gonna be a lot of people going down. We have a spectator bus. And just reading some articles about Chatham, one of the things Chatham likes to do. Uh, it was it was a neat article that they wrote. It's in the Hudson Valley uh, website. Is they like to come out and ha- they have a spectacular warm up display that they put on. And the coach said one of the things they try to do is to get in ahead of the other team in pregame to you know they they show off a little bit during warm ups. I remember Buddy Evans used to tell me when he was coaching at Rome, he tried to beat you in warm ups. He'd have all sorts of circus stuff going on. I, I would imagine there's going to be a lot of hooting and hollering and things that they do in warm ups. And I, I can't see our guys really caring too much about that or paying too much attention to about that. And but I, I know that's one thing that they like to do. They have a, a good history of baseball down there over the last years and. You know, but, and I know, I read the articles in the paper, they're going to bring a huge crowd up to Binghamton. Now, Chatham's south of Albany, right off the thruway, about 30, 40 miles. So the distance to Binghamton is as significant as, as we are. And I know talking to people this week, Mick, there's no hotel rooms in the Binghamton area to get anymore. So I imagine there's going to be big crowds everywhere. If you're headed down, it's Friday night at Binghamton University. The game is the other uh, Class C game, which you have Portville versus Chester. They're playing at 7 o'clock as well over at Maine Endwell. So a big weekend of baseball um, down in Binghamton. And, Mick, what I wanted to get your perspective on is not many people have played in these types of games. You know, you, you, you talk to a lot of people who played high school athletics, and there's very rare times that you get to be at this level. Now, you did this, it was, you know, a long time ago. We're talking almost 40 years ago. But, you know, if you can, think, yeah, if you can think back to what was maybe what was the week like or what did you feel on the field before the game? Was it any different? I know as a coach, when we got to fortunate enough to go play a state playoff game, the week was hectic leading up to the game is hectic but once the game starts everything kind of went away and you're just focused on the game was that kind of how it was when you played in the states it was actually kind of it was interesting because in 86 when we went we actually 
the state finals were in Utica at that point in time. So the state finals in baseball have only in the last 40 years have only been between in the last 35 years have been between Utica and Binghamton. So Utica had the state finals, the state final four in 86 when we went. And interestingly enough, we got rained out on Friday. Uh, we're supposed to play on Friday. We got rained out. Everything got moved to Saturday. So we actually played both games on Saturday. So to be honest with you, it was kind of interesting because we went to Utica. So it was, it was like no different, like just getting on the bus and going and playing a game in Oriskany because we got on the bus in the morning at school and went to Utica you know, and played. So it wasn't, you know, it, you know, it wasn't like we were, got on a bus and rolled three hours and we're going to stay overnight. It was just like, wow, we're just playing in Utica. So it was kind of interesting from that standpoint. So I don't really have a lot of perspective to kind of, you know, talk about like the whole event. Just kind of felt like we were just going to play. And then playing the two games in a day was actually kind of, it was just kind of weird that you kind of do that, at, you know, in, in, in the state final. So we played Ardsley in the final. We actually played Newark Valley in the semifinal, and we actually cruised in that game. We scored a lot of runs. And Ardsley, who we played in the final, they actually played over at Illion at the same time we did. And then we played, uh, we played at 10 o'clock, I think, in the morning. Ardsley played at 10 at Illion. And then Arsley came to Murnane, and then we played the championship game, championship game in the afternoon. So, uh, as far as nerves go, I, like I said, I think just playing in Utica was kind of, it was kind of like every day. It was like an everyday thing, so it wasn't really any different. I imagine, you know, for Coach Polio and his team going to Binghamton, you kind of had the excitement of that, and you know, so it, it'll it'll be different. It'll be a lot different, but. Uh, you know, we played really, really well down there. We, we, we played well. I mean, Newark Valley, they weren't as good as us, so it was kind of easy. Ardsley was 10 times better than us. If we played Ardsley 10 times, they would have beaten us nine. And the one that we should have beaten them in was the game that we actually played and we lost. Uh, but, yeah, it was a good time. You know, not really nerve-wracking once you start playing. And Coach Pulio has like experience to pull off. Yeah, with. played state he, final he four. Played state final four at Notre Dame at Legion Bowl, or was it? Uh, no, I think Utica or I think Proctor. Proctor's. They played in the state final four, and then I think he played in the you know in the states in Legion too. Right. So because he was an excellent baseball player, then he played big time college hockey, and you know you think your baseball coach as you know he's a big time you know, played college hockey. So he's been around sports a long time. So the moment's not going to get to him. You're not going to be overwhelmed. You know, sometimes you, you worry about a coach. You get to that point and you start making mistakes and get overwhelmed. I, that's not going to happen. If, you know, if we go down, it's not going to be – it's going to be because the other team beat us. It's not going to be – Right. It's not yeah, gonna definitely. Be, I don't think definitely. it's an overwhelming experience. Now I grew. I graduated at Binghamton University. Now we're talking a long time ago. They weren't Division One then. I know they have a gorgeous new baseball facility there. They built a basketball arena, so they're Division One sports. And you just said I think the baseball team won the their division this year and went to the uh, College World Series. So the facilities are going to be really nice and a, a treat for kids to play in. Yeah, Binghamton actually. Uh, if you're following the College World Series, the NCAA tournament, Binghamton actually went out to Stanford and played last weekend. So they won their conference tournament, and they went out to Stanford. They lost two games out in Stanford, but they were really competitive. So that Division One program down there at Binghamton, you know, the field and the facilities, I think a lot of Adirondack people will find that pretty impressive. So it's a, you know, it's a nice place to play. I know some of the, 
I know a lot of people were kind of frustrated with some of the state tournament games the last couple of years being played at some of the smaller high schools in the Binghamton area, but this isn't actually going to happen. So the semis for Adirondacks at Binghamton University, and then the finals on Saturday are going to be played at Mirabito Stadium, which where the Binghamton Mets play. So it's a nice setup for the Cats going down there this weekend. I have seen games, Binghamton Mets games, and it's a gorgeous little park. So. Um, if the Cats win Friday night, they'll play the winner of Portville and Chester. Portville out of Section 6, which is the Buffalo area, and Chester out of Section 9, which is downstate, north of the city, like Rockland County. And um, that game will be at 1 o'clock Saturday. So whoever wins, both games will play at the same time. And then whoever uh, wins will play Saturday at 1 o'clock. So it's been a really exciting week here for the baseball team, and uh, we just want to – yeah, and, that, and just a real quick, Nick, that semifinal. I mean, that's that semifinal game with Portville and Chester, I think, haven't done a lot of research, but Portville has a kid named Max Yeal, and he's actually signed to go to West Virginia. He's their ace. So Portville's going in that game. They're 21, 36-2 in the last two years. And Chester, which is Section 9, uh, which is Rockland County, um, Chester's no joke. Rockland County baseball is no joke. So Rockland County baseball may be the best baseball in the state. So they're, Chester's rolling at nine, 19 and 5. So I really think that semifinal, that half of the bracket, that's a big boy matchup between those, between those two. Uh, I think that's going to be interesting as well. It's kind of too bad they play at the same time. That'd be a really good team, you know, a really – good game to see but yeah whoever wins you know the cats and chatham you know they'll have their work cut out for them in the portville you know chester i imagine obviously portville they'll use yield so you get to that second day i'll tell you what you get to the second day anything can happen and i wish they would play the seas back to back at the same site so you get to see the other team play but you know we're nitpicking yeah uh, right now as it's going to be a spectacular weekend down there in Binghamton. If you're unable to go to Binghamton, if you go to the National Federation High School website, NFHS, the game will be broadcast, but you have to buy a subscription. You can buy, a, I think it's ten ninety nine for the month, or you can get a yearly subscription for $70. Yeah. Lots of high schools around here have that have that system and you so if you if you are a subscriber in Adirondack plays like at CVA in a basketball game that game would be on cuz uh, the football team they were on there for their sectional semifinal so a lot of schools are pulling in the NFHS I think Laval has NFHS for their high school basketball games um, it won't be streamed anywhere else. So Adirondack website can't stream it. No one can stream it but NFHS, and you have to pay buy a subscription. But it, you know, if you're unable to get down there, it would be worth to watch, and you would be able to watch both games if you know Adirondack went, or who, if you want to watch other games, they'll all be on there. So again, an exciting week as something that doesn't happen very often around here is happening. It's been kind of a whirlwind, you, you know. If you're just looking at the surface, a team who's under 500 gets into the sectionals, and now they're here, you know, top four teams in the state. And just, you know, looking ahead, Mick, they're losing shortstop Jay Corey. They're losing Creed and Rogers, who plays center field. And they're losing uh, Chris Strobel, who plays third base. And so they got a lot coming back next year. Now, next year we moved to Class B, which is a totally different story. But sports here next year for Adirondack, not just – you know, baseball, football teams bring everybody back. Coach Lewis and the basketball team have a bunch of people back. Girls Hoops got a bunch of people back. Uh, the girls softball was really young, so I think sports is looking like it's in a good spot. And 
was to give credit to uh, Pat Fiorenz, our athletic director for the year, um, really getting Adirondack Sports kind of where I think he envisioned it to be when he you know, became athletic director. Yeah, a lot of things to be excited about. And then, you know, obviously capped off with this, you know, trip to the Final Four. But, yeah, looking, peeking ahead, you know, it's going to be a really exciting fall. And, you know, right now, the, you know, the couple classes that we have in the high school, Necker, we got some really talented kids. So a lot to look forward to. When you watch the game Friday, and they're going to talk about Colin White Jr., Brett Sanford Jr., Max Weiler's a sophomore, Bailey Gleason's a sophomore. You know, significant guys who play multiple sports who you can rely on. And that's at a school our size, you can get a group of guys or gals who are, you know, like-minded and can, they can carry multiple programs at a time. And that's kind of what you need when we're at our size. So it's, uh, it's exciting to, to be around and see. And it's just exciting to, to see the atmosphere in the school and people excited to go down and talk all, all week has been, you know, what, how you going to the game or if you're going to the game and what are you going to do for the game. I'm not able to go down to the game, but I'm going to have on my back porch, I got my TV, so I'm going to have the live stream on there and some friends are going to come over and we're going to watch the game and it's going to be an exciting weekend for Adirondack baseball. As we... Uh, we try to sneak in another podcast here. I want to throw one more thing at you before we go. Totally off the subject. Me and Mick are the golf coaches here, so we want to throw a little bit of golf at you here. Because the big story this week is guys leaving the PGA Tour to go to, I think they're calling it the Live Tour or the Live Tour. It's uh, the Saudi Arabian-backed golf. And as we speak, golfers are leaving the PGA to go to there. And I, I, I'm kind of conflicted on it as... If someone offered me $100 million to go play golf somewhere, I would go and play golf somewhere for $100 million. That's kind of life-changing money. But it's really going to change the landscape of golf in the United States, I think, in the next few years. And it's uh, So what do you think? Would you be leaving to go play for $100 million? $100 million, I probably would. If you think about it, if you go back in time for you know our hardcore sports fans that listen in on our podcast – you, if you went back to the USFL, like when the USFL started, a whole bunch of those guys be, decided, hey, I'm not going to go play in the NFL. I'm going to go play in the USFL. Herschel Walker, right? Yeah, Herschel Walker, Steve Young. Uh, Jim Kelly was yeah. – Jim Kelly played for the Houston Gamblers. You know, So it's kind of almost like the same thing. Like these guys are like, I'm not going to play with the traditional PGA. We're going to go and play on this new tour. And I guess I was reading a little bit of it on you know today, and you know they're talking about how – you know, the new tour may have like 14 tournaments during the course of the year all over the world. Uh, you know, and a lot of those guys going to get appearance money for just showing up. They're going to get paid, which PGA, that doesn't happen. So, you know, obviously this new tour, they're throwing around a lot of money and they're attracting some pretty big names. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens with the PGA. It's going to be interesting to see, like, can this tour kind of sustain itself? We know USFL kind of fell apart. Uh, they couldn't go up against the big, you know, the NFL. So we'll see if the new tour can, you know, kind of stand up and kind of, you know, maybe make its way with the PGA tour, you know, standing in its shadows a little bit. So that'll be, you know, it'll be interesting. And the problem is, if you haven't followed it closely, this new tour is being backed by Saudi Arabia and their prince and their government. And it's ba- they're trying to legitimize Saudi Arabia, who's had a lot of human rights violations and other problems over the years. And the question all the golfers are going to be asked is, do you support or how do you square away what Saudi Arabia has done 
you know, in human rights violations, in the way they treat women or LBGT or, how, or whatever, you know, minorities, and how do you square that with making money? And I watched guys yesterday ask that question, and the answers, they just kind of put their hands up, and I think the answer is it's so much money that they can't say no, but they don't want to say that out loud. And, you know, it's interesting how, you know, what's your price, you know, how is hundred million dollars worth for you to maybe bend your morals a little bit and I think for a lot of people a hundred million dollars is life-changing money for the next four generations of your family now Tiger Woods report had been offered uh, close to a billion dollars but he's already a billionaire so he can he can be moral because he has money but if you're if you're a guy who's on a corn ferry tour searching for five thousand dollars every week and you're offered a chance to make millions of dollars the choice i don't know i don't know if it's that hard of a choice you just got to go and and try to make your money because some of those guys are just rookies coming out of college looking to make their way right and on pga tour right now if you don't make the cut you're not you don't make any money and right now you know the new tour they're basically saying you know they're looking for a field of like 54 guys and they're saying right now that you know they're 54 they're going to pay all 54 or whatever so, you know, that's kind of the dilemma too. But some PGA guys, they've kind of they've kind of come forward a little bit. Rory McIlroy's kind of come forward and kind of alluded to the, you know, the the politics of the whole thing, you know, to a certain extent as well. So that's going to be it's going to be interesting to just see like how some of the dynamics with some of these guys. Some of these guys are really good friends on the PGA tour. It's going to be interesting to see what the dynamics are. And one last note, Nick, we haven't mentioned this. Uh, if you go to the no, if you go to the new tour, no Ryder Cup. You're no not going to be on the Ryder Cup team. Now, as of now, you can play in the majors, but that could change because the new tour you don't earn world ranking points, and if you don't have world ranking points, you're not allowed to go to tournaments. All these guys are qualified for this year's, but going into next year, if you don't have world ranking points, can you play in the U.S. Open? So those things have to yet to be determined. So we had a sidetrack, get some golf winners. So Coach Puglia, if you're listening to this, we had a make sure we got a little golf plug in it. We didn't talk Adirondack golf, but we had yeah. to put some golf World in. golf. World golf. But, again, good luck to the Cats, and uh, be be awesome. Be hanging a state title banner. Like you said, Adirondack Sports, the wrestling team won a state title. I don't remember the year. I think it was pre-COVID. It was like 18, 17, 16, somewhere in there that – you know, there's a sign out. In seventeen. Front of, there's a sign out in front of lodging kit. That seventeen. They have their, yep. Their seventeen. State, their state title. So that's the only team that's won a state title. So this would be a huge deal for Coach Puglia to go down here and and the Cats to to pull off a state title. So that'll that'll do it for our quick from the bleachers. Maybe we'll hopefully have a wrap up next week. Next week, sometime we can talk about our Monday Night Golf League, maybe a little bit where our rankings are, and hopefully be rewarding our. Uh, baseball team as they hope to hang a state title banner in the gym. So that'll do it here for From the Bleachers. Have a great weekend and good luck to the Cats.